So we're going to be taking a look at Psalm 30 today. So you can open up the scriptures to Psalm 30. Uh, this is a, a really interesting psalm in a lot of ways. Uh, just want to give the setting to it, first of all. It's very important we understand the setting of this psalm. Uh, about seven or eight years before this psalm was sung for the first time, David, King David, was giving his last public address to the nation of Israel. He was going to be dying soon. Somehow he knew that. And so he's giving his final public, uh, you know, talk to the nation, so to speak. And uh, he talks to them and he, he exhorts his son Solomon publicly to build a temple for the Lord. And David had spent a lot of time uh, preparing for the temple, but it was not for him to build the temple. The Lord said, it's not for you to do it. You got too much blood on your hands. I want a man of peace to build this temple. Uh, this is going to be a time of peace. This is going to be a season of peace that I want my people to have. And so it's not going to be you who builds it. It's going to be your son. And so David did tons of preparation, though, for this building. Uh, he created, he got hired all kinds of workers. They put together all the parts. They built all the different parts that they were going to need. Most of the parts for the temple were all being pre-built. There was just tons of preparation work done. Uh, David's getting this all set up for Solomon to actually put it all together and actually build this temple. But he did an incredible amount of work. And not only that, uh, David had really, under his rule, the kingdom of Israel had really become established, peaceful. Uh, it was at peace with its neighbors. The borders were secure. Uh, there had been a good probably 30. By the time that the, the temple was finished being built, Israel had probably enjoyed 35 years or so of just peace and prosperity. So the nation was incredibly blessed. This was a time of great blessing on the nation. A tremendous amount of blessing. And, uh, and David played a, a real integral part in, doing, in, in that and in setting everything up and in setting up the nation to enjoy this wonderful time of prosperity and blessing and, and there's this excitement, you can just almost feel the excitement as the people are gathering into Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple for the very first time. Uh, they're coming around to see this temple, this magnificent work of the Lord, uh, this temple to worship the Lord and, and to, to bring offerings and sacrifices and to be a place of worship and a place to meet with God. And so it's just an incredibly exciting time for the nation. And uh, as they're coming there, I mean, people are realizing this was David's idea. I mean, David got this idea to build this temple. And so there must have been just so much appreciation for King David and for how he had set the nation up and blessed the nation spiritually. Just this incredible time this, uh, of the nation coming together. And suddenly... You can almost imagine, I'm just imagining this. I don't know this for sure it happened like this, but I can just imagine the, the rumor starts to spread. There's a psalm, a new song that's going to be sung. David wrote it. It's another one of David's songs. Now you've got to understand, David was called in 2 Samuel 23.1, he's declared to be the sweet psalmist of Israel. Half of the psalms that we have in the Bible were written by King David. And, and psalms are what? They're just songs. I mean, these are songs. I mean, this guy was like 
Chris Tomlin on steroids. I mean, he was like, you know, he was like a rock star, you know, he really was. But he was more than a rock star. He was the king, you know. And uh, he was responsible for so much blessing, unlike rock stars, right? But I mean, <laughs> all right, be quiet, Bob. Um, but uh, really, I mean, there, and, and uh, he was in so many ways just, just a real rock star, a hero in the eyes of the nation. And, uh, and so they're going to sing, they're going to have unveiled this new worship song at the dedication of the temple. They're going to dedicate this temple to the Lord. And there's a new worship song written by King David himself, being premiered at this time. Real time of excitement. And so we're going to read this psalm that they sung for the first time at the dedication of the temple. And so really, uh, this is how, how it begins. In verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord. And I'm just going to stop right there. I will extol you, O Lord. The hero of the nation of Israel says to the nation of Israel, I am not the hero. I am not the hero. There is one hero in my life story, and that's the Lord. It's the Lord and it's the Lord alone. And that's David. David takes this opportunity to present his life message uh, to the entire nation. This is like an amazing opportunity to present. This is like a one-off opportunity. And David is going to use his own life as the backdrop for this message to extol the Lord with our lives. So he says, I will extol you, O Lord. Now he's got reasons for that. It's not simply that the Lord is worthy, which he is, right? But David has real specific reasons why he wants to do that on this day. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David says, I want to magnify God. I want to exalt Him because really He's the hero of my life. He is the story of my life. My life makes no sense without Him. He is the very hero of my life. He drew me up and He did not let my foes rejoice over me. He rescued me, David says, again and again and again. And again, I mean, when you read the life of David, it is unbelievable the close calls this guy had. I mean, this guy was the definition of close calls. I mean, he like, I mean, I mean Saul is about ready to throw, he it throws a spear at him. David has to duck, it, it sticks into the wall right behind him. I mean, as he flees for his life. I mean, he's, he's sleeping with his wife in bed at night, and guys are coming to his house and they're breaking in to get him and to, to, to capture him. He has to be let down by his wife out the window to escape. I mean, you know, you can just see these stories. He is in, he's, there he is, he's, he runs away, he's fleeing for his life. He goes to see Samuel. And while he's there to, see, to, to, to visit with Samuel, Saul sends some guys to go ahead and capture him. And on the way, they get slain in the Holy Spirit and begin to prophesy. And they walk back, they come back, so Saul sends some other guys, and then they get slain in the Holy Spirit and begin to prophesy. 
So Saul says, all right, forget this. I'm going. So he goes himself. Saul goes himself. He gets slain in the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy. And he's like, why was I here anyways? I don't know. Hey, David, have a great day. He goes back and he leaves. I mean, David just gets delivered incredible ways over and over and over and over again. I mean, there's literally like more than a dozen times talked about in the scriptures that we know of where David is just rescued in just incredibly spectacular ways. God just does this incredible rescue. I mean, it's really astonishing. And so the people of Israel, they, they're thinking back to David. They've been thinking about him. They've probably been talking about him as they're gathering together. You know, and they, they hear about this song he's going to sing, and they're thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's David's life all right, man. The Lord did it. I mean, the Lord just saved him over and over and over again, rescued him from his foes. And, uh, and he goes on, he says, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Like, God, you came through when I was desperate, when I was like had my back against the wall, sometimes literally, I mean, you came through time and time and time again. You're, you're the hero of my story, Lord. I want to extol you. Verse 3, he goes on and he says this. He says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And now David is going to talk about one of the darkest times of his life. David was in an incredibly spiritually dark place. It doesn't get much darker than it got for David. And, and this is no doubt a reference to his sin with Bathsheba and the, the downward spiral that ensued in his life. He said, I was going down. I was down for the count. I was going out. I was going. I was in spiritual no man's land heading straight for hell. I was on the road to hell, and you rescued me, God. You delivered me from my, my pathway to hell that I was on. You lifted me up. You rescued me. I was going down, man. I was out. I was down for the count. I was a hopeless case, and you rescued me. I mean, really, think about it. You know, when you, when you think about that story, it's just incredible uh, what was going on there. He, he commits adultery with Bathsheba and after he commits adultery with Bathsheba he tries to cover it up because he finds out she got pregnant oops <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen <clears throat> she gets pregnant so what does he do he has to, he sends for her husband Uriah he tries to wine and dine him and get him to forget about the army for a bit and go spend a night with his wife and Uriah is a better man than David is, so he says, no, I'm not going to do that while these guys are suffering out there. And so, again, it just, it's, David keeps whining and dining, it doesn't work. Finally, David sends Uriah's death sentence with Uriah, because the guy can't read anyways, right? Hey, loyal man, why don't you give this to Joab, the commander? And so, Uriah is effectively assassinated, and not just Uriah, but some other guys too. I mean, this is horrible. This is unbelievably evil of David. David just doesn't commit one sin that deserves death, adultery, which the law says. He commits murder. He doesn't just kill one guy, he's a mass murderer. I mean, this, this is as dark as it gets. As bad as it can be, and he's in as bad a place spiritually as anybody can ever get. 
I mean, it just really doesn't get much worse than this. David said, I was there. I was like in the pit. And Lord, you still went after me. You pursued me. You sent the prophet Nathan. You gave that man courage. I'll tell you, man, that Nathan had courage. David's the king. I mean, if David says off with his head, it's off with his head. And Nathan goes boldly, and he and the Lord gives him a parable to convict David. He didn't even tell David directly. He gave him a parable so that David's own sense of justice would rise up and condemn the man who, who, who did the thing in the parable wrong. And so David condemns the man in the parable. David thinks it's a true story. Nathan looks at him, he says, buddy, you are the man. And he's cut to the quick. He's convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts him. I'll tell you, David recognized, Lord, had you not convicted me, had you not got a hold of my heart, it was over for me. See, David, yes, David repented. Yes, he did. But you know what? God had mercy on him, and the Holy Spirit convicted him. He didn't have to do that. He could have let David go on his merry way to hell. But he didn't do that. He intervened. He convicted David. He sent the messenger of God to David to convict him of his sin, to get him to repent, to lead him to repentance. Yes, David responded, but David knows there's no way this would have happened were it not for the hand of God having mercy on my life. And so, so that's, that's one of the most important things uh, that we can see there from David's life. The, the, the first point here, too, though, is he, he talks about, in verse 4, he says this, he says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. He says, he's, what he's really doing here is he's inviting all of us into this same dialogue, this same story. Because the bottom line is, brethren, this is what David is really trying to show us, God has rescued each one of us. God has delivered us from enemies that were destroying us, that were out to destroy us. God has rescued us from sin. God has delivered us. And, and so David is really encouraging the saints here at this wonderful dedication of the temple. Think back on your own life. Think about how the Lord has rescued you. Think about how He has delivered you. Think about how you were going down and God came in and rescued you. The right thing to do, saints, David is saying, worship the Lord. I mean, give Him thanks. Join me in extolling Him and exalting Him and giving Him thanks for what He's done in your life. And then he goes on here. I mean, sometimes we, we think about, you know, our own life. We think, okay, well, David's life, it was really dramatic. My life was not that dramatic, you know. Maybe some of us, you know, maybe perhaps some of us here have been believers from childhood. We're going, I don't have the big bloody horror stories of David, you know. I didn't, I didn't murder somebody, you know. I didn't commit adultery, you know. Uh, we don't have the big horror stories. But you know what? The fact is, God showed mercy on you to rescue you as a young child. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you didn't get rescued as a young child you would have the horror stories. <laughs> there would have been things you would have fallen into and you would have done. You'd be, you'd be you know, looking back at like David was years later and going, wow, what did I do? That was stupid. 
You would have a lot of stories like that (laughs) if it wasn't for the fact that God rescued you. And so you can be thankful for the things that God has delivered you from from, because you got saved at a young age. I I remember I I remember I was talking to a woman once, a friend of ours, a Danish friend from Denmark. When we lived in Turkey, there was a couple there. They were they were missionaries from Denmark, and um, and her husband had you know the horror story kind of testimony. So we were just sharing testimonies, how we got saved. So I, so I asked her, so how did you get saved? She goes, oh, I don't have a very exciting story. I, I went forth in Sunday school when I was five years old, and I gave my life to Jesus. I said, are you kidding? You got the best story of all, man. <laughs> I mean, think of what you, what you did not do because you met the Lord at such a young age and how you've been able to serve him almost all of your days. I mean, that is just beautiful. And she just got all teary-eyed. I mean, she was like, I, I never thought of that. I'm like, you should. I mean, you know, you got the most awesome story in the, in the, of all. You know, you really do. And so all of us have so much to give thanks to the Lord for, regardless of when he rescued us. The fact is, he rescued us, <laughs> plain and simple. And, uh, and again, we can, we can think of a lot of times a lot of situations where the Lord has come in and he's intervened and he's helped us. He's had mercy on us. Now, David goes on because the situation, <clears throat> although he was forgiven, and Nathan told him when he repented, I mean, David knew how to repent. <laughs> David knew how to sin big and repent big. I mean, he, when he repented, man, I mean, he, he did repentance. He, read Psalm 51. I mean, the guy knew how to repent. And he said, God, if you forgive me and you restore me, I'll teach other sinners how to repent too. He says, you know, because I, I, I will have learned how to do this thing. And, um, but, but the bottom line is, even though he was forgiven, Nathan says, the Lord forgives you, David. You've been forgiven. He was restored to right relationship with God. But there were still these consequences he had to face. Still, these, these really nasty consequences he had to face. <clears throat> now, this is the second main point of this psalm, and that is, don't despair because of the bitter fruit of your failures. And I'll tell you, you know, we've probably many of us have had some bitter fruit. And some of us are eating it right now. And we're going, this really doesn't taste very good. I mean, I, I know God has forgiven me. I know I'm in right relationship with Him. But man, can we just like get past this? Like this bitter fruit? Like I really don't feel like, you know, eating coffee raw. You know what I mean? I mean, I like coffee when it's, you know, but you know, it just it's bitter. I can't, Lord, is there any way out of this mess? And, and sometimes we just have to walk through some stuff. There's, there, you know, it says in the Scriptures that God, do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap, Galatians 6, 7. So there is reaping that happens from bad fruit that's been sown, even after we've been forgiven. Sometimes we got to still deal with some of that stuff. And so, but David says, don't despair from the bitter fruit of our failures. He encourages us not to do that. He wants us to remember two things. Take a look at verse 5 here. He says this, he says, For his anger 
is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. David is saying, listen, it's temporary. Yes, yeah, yep, you're going through some stuff right now, but it's temporary. Now, David should know. I mean, after, because he sinned, because of what he did, the Lord tell, told him, you're going to reap some bitter fruit from this. It's just the way it is, David. You're going to reap some bitter fruit. And he basically, his, his son Amnon ends up raping his sister, his half-sister, Tamar. Uh, Amnon gets killed later by Absalom, who's mad at him. Absalom rebels against David, creates a rebellion. Uh, David's got to run for his life with a bunch of his friends. They have to leave the city. Um, there's a rebellion. The rebellion gets put down. People get killed. Absalom dies. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible stuff that happened on account of David's sin. The stuff that he had to, had to, to go through. But you know what? It, it, it passed. And, and there, he entered a season of blessing in his life. He says his favor lasts for a lifetime. I mean, the last 25, 30 years of, of David's life, with one little exception, which we will take a look at later, uh, was just pretty much a season of wonderful blessing that came back into his life. The nation was blessed. The nation became established and stabilized uh, and, and really prospered. He says his anger is but for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. You know, endure when you're in the middle of, of that bitter fruit, when you're, you're kind of going through it, when you made some stupid mistakes, and you're going, man, I really did stupid bad here, and you're kind of eating some of that stupid fruit, you know. I mean, just David is saying, endure, endure. It's, it's not going to last forever. God is merciful. He's going to, he, he, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and there's a new day coming. It's not going to go on forever. And so that's really encouraging uh, to us. And then David really, really gives us a little bit of a warning here in verse 6. He reflects back on how he got to that really bad place. Because I'll tell you, to be honest with you, up until the Bathsheba story, David is pretty much batting a thousand. I mean, the guy's like, he is challenged right and left. He shows incredible amount of integrity. He just perseveres in his faith and his trust in the Lord through everything. I mean, all hell is thrown at him, and he just comes through looking pretty good. I mean, everything's going pretty well in his life until the Bathsheba story. And so David, now he's going to reflect on that in verse 6, and he's going to kind of give us a little bit of insight on how he got in trouble. So we're going to take a look at that in verse 6. He said, As for me, he said, I've been extolling the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you about moi. <laughs> he's like, the Lord is the one I'm exalting here. He's the hero of the story. All right, let me tell you how I almost screwed things up completely here, how this happened. He says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Hmm. What did David do? He got really apathetic. He got really comfortable. He kind of waned in his zeal. He kind of just coasted. You know, you don't really coast spiritually. <laughs> You're moving in one direction or the other. Coasting is not a good place to be. Uh, and David was really, in effect, becoming lukewarm in his affections and in his relationship with the Lord. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Really, David? Like, 
really? Like, where did your prosperity come from, David? Where did the blessing in your life come from? It's really what he's saying here. Look at what he goes on. He says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. He said, David said, see, when you're in that season when things are going well, don't ever forget where your prosperity comes from. It's by the favor of the Lord. When, when things are going well in your life, be thankful and be grateful for the hand of God and the blessing of God in your life. Don't forget who it comes from. And don't press back. The, the Lord warned the nation of Israel, didn't, didn't he? He said, when I bring you into the land and when you guys start to prosper, don't start to say you're prospering because of your own hand. Don't start to go, I got this thing, God, thanks. Have a nice day. Don't start to do that kind of thing. You know? And so that's the warning David's giving here. Because we see David in the story. What is going on? David is... is it's the time, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's the time when the kings go out to battle. And where's David? He's not out to battle. He's chilling on top of the palace roof. Shame on you, David. He has an assignment from the Lord. What's the assignment? Joshua and the people under jo in Joshua's day had never fully occupied the land. They never completely fully occupied the land. It says it right in Joshua. They got... A lot of the land, they got established in the land, but they didn't fully occupy it. There was land that God had given to them that needed to get occupied. And David should have been out there helping lead the occupation of the land that the Lord had given them. And David was just kind of sitting back and enjoying being king. He had work to do. He had labor to do. And he's just kind of coasting. Wow, this is pretty nice. You know, I'm kind of rich now. Everything's going pretty great. This palace is sweet, man. I mean, you know, I think I'm just going to take a little vacay. Joab's a good general. Hey, go for it, buddy. Have a nice day. You know, I mean, and he's just coasting. This is, it's really a, a, a sign of, of lukewarmness in his relationship, of taking God for granted, taking God's blessings for granted, and really becoming apathetic. In Revelation 3, 15 through 21, uh, we see that, that uh, warning about becoming uh, lukewarm. We really need to be aware of, of spiritual pride and apathy. I mean, David just kind of was taking God for granted because, hey, he had so much blessing on his life. He just began to kind of take the Lord for granted, just became apathetic. But God is a really jealous God. And just like he told the, the Laodicean church in Revelation 3, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to wake you up. <laughs> I'm going to wake you up if I have to. To get your attention. Because I love you. Be earnest and repent. That's what the, the Lord told the Laodicean church. That's effectively what the Lord told David. You need to be earnest. You need to repent. You have sinned. You are the sinner, David. You're the one who's messing up here. You've got to get right with God again. You've got to repent and come back. It's, it's interesting when you read, and, and let's take a quick look at that in Revelation uh, um, 3, chapter 3. Lukewarmness and this is why David's giving the warning here. This is really a serious problem. You know, sometimes we think ah, lukewarm is, you know, at least it's not cold, you know. That's um, not the way God looks at it. He says here, verse 15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, 
Notice what they say. They say the same kind of stuff David was saying. I'm rich. I prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich <laughs> and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Stop being lukewarm. Get zealous again. Remember from where you've been with the height from which you've fallen. And David's like, man, I wish I had done that. I kind of, I, I got, I got, lazy. I got spiritually lazy. I got apathetic. I got lukewarm. And so, so we see here in verse 7, you hid your face. The Lord hides his face from David. And suddenly he's dismayed. He's going, whoa, this isn't working the way it usually was. <laughs> it's, it's a wake-up call. And God gives us wake-up calls sometimes. Now granted, not everything, I don't want to, don't read too much into this. Not just, you know, just because something bad is happening in our, our lives doesn't automatically mean that we sinned or something like that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But, but the point is that David's trying to make is we got to watch out for spiritual apathy and pride and, and when, when things are going well. You know, be really, really careful about that. <clears throat> so he goes on and he tells us next, how do you get out of it? How do you get out of spiritual apathy, pride, you know, just this kind of lukewarm, yeah, blah, whatever, coasting mentality? When, when your faith, when the Lord wakes you up, when he does what he's got to do to wake you up, this is what you do. David's life becomes a mess again, suddenly, because of his sin. And he says in verse 8, he says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. He says, the only thing you do... Plead for mercy. Like, you need God's help, like really bad. And just call out to him for mercy. He's the God of mercy. Call out to him for mercy. He goes on, he says, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? He, he's effectively saying, Lord, if, if this just keeps going south, like if this just turns out blah, <laughs> like yuck at the end, what good is that? Lord, please have mercy on me and turn my life around. Help me, Jesus. You know, just grab, my, grab a hold of my heart, get a hold of my, my life, and turn things around. Lord, I need your help. I can't turn my life around myself. When David found himself getting into trouble, well, his, one of his biggest mistakes was is to try to cover it up on his own. When he found himself in trouble, he tried to, to, to just deal with it on his own. That was, that was bad, wasn't it? That just led to more ugliness, more evil, more sin, more problems. David's like, don't do that. Like, don't go there. Like, just like, like repent quickly, man. Like, deal with this thing. Repent quickly. But don't despair. He goes on, he says, uh, be merciful. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So again, really recognize your need for God. Like, you need God to come through and you really need his help in the situation. Cry out to him for help. He, he goes on and he says in verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Again, David is saying, You took 
like the really bad situation. And somehow, Lord, you rescued me out of that situation. You've turned things around. You've actually brought blessing and gladness of heart back to me again. How amazing is that after all that had happened? And I think in verse 11, I think in a lot of ways, this, this brings to recollection one more failure of David's in 1 Chronicles 21. He's older now. It's later in life. It's long past the Bathsheba story. He's long since repented of that. So you'd think he's, he's like, everything's cool now, right? This, you know, this is the thing, brethren. We, are, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not like Satan takes a vacation, you know what I'm saying? Like he goes, oh, you know, it's been kind of hard for, let me pick on somebody here. It's been kind of hard for Mike, you know, I think I'm just going to give him a vacation for a while, back off a little bit. Satan doesn't do that. He comes back, he's always looking for a fresh opportunity. And, and, and just because someone's been walking with the Lord for many years doesn't mean they're exempt. Just because they've, they've done spectacular fails and rep- failures and repented really well from them and, and recovered well doesn't mean they're scot-free, right? We're never, we're, we've got we to be alert. We've got to be on the alert. And it says in First Chronicles, Satan actually came and he, he prodded David. He, he did something with David, played with him a bit, and got him to do something really dumb. You read the story in First Chronicles 21. Again, the, the nation has been really prospering. It's been doing really well. Things are going great, right? Everything's going wonderful. And suddenly, <clears throat> David gets this brilliant idea, feeling, again, kind of comfortable probably, right? And he's looking at, at his vast kingdom that he rules now. I mean, it's really prospering. Things are going great. He's got a huge army. It says, and I believe in Proverbs, that the glory of kings is their army, you know? <clears throat> and uh, so David's like, man, I wonder how many there are. Well, we got, we got strong military. Man, we got strong military force. Wow, it's pretty cool. We got a huge army. I wonder how many there are. Gets Joab, the commander of the army, says, hey, Joab, count, let's find out how many we got. Let's find out how many soldiers we got out there, how many battle-ready men we've got in the kingdom. I'd really want to find that out. And Joab is like, what? Now, Joab is not exactly a spiritual giant, okay? Joab has, like, serious issues in his life. He, like, you know, conspired to murder people. I mean, he was just not a great guy, okay? But even Joab, I mean, a spiritual dwarf goes, David, what are you doing? Like, the Lord fights our battles for us, David. Come on. What are you numbering the troops for? Aren't you trusting the Lord? I mean, isn't it the Lord? It doesn't matter. I mean, you should know from the story of Gideon that it doesn't matter the size of the army is not the point, you know? Don't you remember the story of Gideon, David? I mean, come on, you know? I mean, I mean even Joab. I mean, when you get, when you get like, uh, you know, a guy like Joab, who's not particularly a spiritual giant, kind of going, this is probably not an ethical thing to do, David. You're probably missing it, you know? <laughs> I mean, he should have taken some warning there. And yet, he numbers the troops. He numbers the troops. Joab can't even stomach it. He doesn't number all of them. He says, I'm I'm ignoring the tribe of Benjamin. Forget it. And I'm not going to count Levi either. Whatever. Here's the numbers, David. Sort of. The Lord sees this. The Lord is not pleased. The Lord says, okay, yeah, 
You're, you're trusting in your numbers? You kind of think you're a big shot because you've got a big army? I'm going to whittle down the numbers now. And a plague strikes the land. 70,000 people end up dying. 70,000 men, soldiers die. And it's still going. David and the elders are like, oh my gosh, what do we do? That was really stupid. Like, I did stupid again. <clears throat> and so David goes to, to Jerusalem and the, or the, the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, on Mount, it's actually on Mount Moriah, we find out in 2 Chronicles 3.1. It's the same place, the same location where Abraham brought Isaac to almost sacrifice him. And at that location, what did the Lord do? The Lord provided a sacrifice. And the covenant promised to Abraham, it seemed like it was going to come to an end, and yet the Lord provided something and, and showed mercy to Isaac, and the story continued on. The covenant promise continued. So there they are. The angel of the Lord is coming to Jerusalem to strike Jerusalem with the plague that's already begun to hit a bunch of parts of the country. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's about ready to strike the city of Jerusalem, and David goes and he, he, he sacrifices. He buys Ornan the Jebusite's threshing floor. He buys that. He says, I want to buy that. I'm paying for it. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord here. We're going to cry out to God for mercy. We're going to do what he said you should do in Psalm 30. He goes, when you do stupid, this is what you do. You cry out for mercy. You repent. When stupid is going on in your life, like stop doing stupid and repent quick. Like he, so he starts, he's repenting. And he is bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. And so there he is, and he's sacrificing to the Lord. And the Lord, he, they're repenting. The elders in him are repenting. The Lord uh, burns their sacrifice up. He presents the sacrifice. Rather than them having to set fire to it, the angel of the Lord sets fire to it. God accepts the sacrifice. He accepts their repentance. And God shows mercy, not only to David, but to the people of Israel, to the whole nation. God shows mercy. And that very spot is the very spot where the temple was built. It's the very spot where this song was sung. And that very spot, which was a place of mourning and repentance and brokenness, became a spot of rejoicing, of dancing, of worship and of praise. And this is what the Lord wants to do, David is saying, in our lives. This is what He can do. He can take that broken spot, that broken place in our life, that place of brokenness, that place when we are like at our wits' end, when, we, when it's like, it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's all or nothing. I mean, it's, it's going to be over. It's coming to an end or else the Lord comes through, one or the other. I mean, He loves to come through. He loves to show mercy and He loves to take that broken place that we're in and to turn it around and to make it a place of worship, a place of dancing, a place of rejoicing. And that's what the Lord promises to do when we repent, when we turn to Him. That is the story that David wants to share of his life. He goes on, he says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Why? Verse 12, That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. <clears throat> and so... When he says, my glory gives thanks to the Lord forever, that term, my glory, means my whole being, everything about me. Let everything within me exalt his holy name. David's like, when the Lord rescues you, when he delivers you, when he has saved you, and you know that he saved you, 
That's all you want to do. He says that's the proper response is to just give thanks to him and give glory and give honor to him with all your being, with everything you've got. I mean, like throw it all in. You know what I'm saying? It's all in. And that's, that's the call that we have, the call to worship him with all of our hearts and with our very lives. And, and David said, that's the story of my life. He's like, that's who the hero is for me. It's not me. I, I blew it like countless times. I was like, you know, AWOL. I was like beyond hope. I was heading down the pit fast. And the Lord rescued me. He is the hero of my life. So right now, I just want to encourage you. If you are at a place where you're going, oh Lord, maybe you've repented. Maybe you've gotten right with the Lord, but you're eating some bitter fruit still. I want to encourage you, don't give up. You know, weeping may endure for the night, may, may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's not going to last forever. It really won't. There's a good season coming. Morning's coming. It's going to be all right. Morning with, a, with just an O, not a U. <laughs> I mean, that kind of morning. And if you're mourning, he can turn your morning into dancing. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rescue you. He wants to turn your life around. So I want to encourage you, first of all, if you're going through a tough season because you're reaping bitter fruit from doing stupid for a while, and so you're kind of reaping that right now, you know, the Lord's with you. If you've repented and you've come to him, he's on your side and he's beginning to mitigate that situation and he's going to show mercy to you and to, to those you love in that situation that you're in. But on the other hand, if you're going, my back is against the wall. It is do or die for me. I have been doing stupid. I mean, I, I really need to just repent. I need to return back to the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. Today is the day of salvation. I mean, don't wait another moment. Just, you know, don't, you know, maybe some of you are going, well, I did it before, I did this, what, no, forget that. Yeah, David was serving the Lord too and got stupid, you know? So, I mean, it doesn't matter what you were doing before. Bottom line is get right with the Lord now. And so, so Father, right now, we just do that. Father, we just, right now, we thank you that you are the story of our life. You're the, you're the hero of our life, Lord. You are the one who rescues us. You are the one who has shown mercy to us. And Father, we, we just cry out to you for that mercy, Lord. We need it afresh. Lord, you're the one that rescues us. You're the one who turns something good out of awful things in our life. You're the one who, who turns our mourning into dancing, Lord. Father, we look to you. We surrender our lives afresh to you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross to pay for our sins. Thank you that you took the wrath that we deserved upon yourself. You died, not just for King David and his sins, you died for us and for our sins. And for our salvation, Lord, you came down from heaven. You took all that punishment we deserved, all that wrath. And Lord, you did it not only to forgive us, but to deliver us, to rescue us, and to restore our souls, to heal our souls, and to bring our souls up out of the pit. And Father, we just surrender to you. We repent afresh. We turn our hearts over to you and our life to you. Lord Jesus, right now, I just surrender my life to you. I say, be my leader, be my Lord, take over my life, be my Savior, and be the leader of my life. Be the one that rescues me. Become the story and the re of my life, the Redeemer, the hero of my life. You are the hero of my life, Lord. And I worship you, and I exalt you, I extol you, I lift you up, because you alone are worthy to receive all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.